This is Thomas DePolo. This is Max. This is Kevin Ham. Hey, this is Jake Cook. Hi, this is William Roy. You're listening to The Green Box. So I was digging through uh, my old RPG shelf because it's all packed up into boxes for many reasons. And I was actually, I was actually trying to find D&D dungeon tiles, but that's besides the point. Um, asking about being confused about what D&D Essentials was later. But I found an old GURPS book, which I think I won. No, a friend of mine won at like a Warhammer contest. And I kind of stole because I wanted it more and he didn't care. And I was like, oh, let me read that. And then he just never wanted to back. Anyway, I found an old GURPS book called GURPS Tactical Shooting, which I thought has a lot of, or potentially has a lot of interesting crossover with Hilda Green in how they talk about stuff. So I wanted to kind of run through it. Yeah, this book used to be uh, real popular back on the old Gossworks forums back before, in like the pre-Brigador days. Was that because it was people who had a lot of GURPS and wanted it was, like, the realism stuff? No, it was stuff, literally or? just because someone posted it in a thread. No. It's definitely pretty old. Uh, I don't even know what the publishing did on this is uh, uh 2011 god that doesn't sound very old and no my my paper copy is definitely older than that anyway i don't know it's it's decently old uh, so my impression of this book was that it's an excellent source of interesting background details and anecdotes and i would not use any of the mechanics here in delta Green. yeah i mean i certainly wouldn't use i mean because it's made for gerbs it goes into all details about like um new perks and advantages and like those don't really come over into Delta Green, uh, like equipment and stuff, uh, unless you just want to know about equipment, if, if they have any like, description stuff there. But I thought a lot of the early stuff was interesting. So one of the things they talk about, or like one of the early things it says is like uh, realistic firearm tactics like will enhance your campaign's believability, but only if everybody at the gaming table like understands why, which is only something I've run into where we have somebody who is, if you have one person at your Delta Green table who's hyper-focused on like cop procedure and investigatory procedure and like super into all the details... And no one else is that that's not very fun for a lot of people. But if everybody is, then that's really fun because everybody gets really into the details. Like, and I've definitely seen that skew like b- badly, but I've also seen it skew really awesomely, you know? Yeah, it seems like something to reward a table that already has all this stuff on the brain and is just going to bring that to the game, whether or not you kind of seek it out. And that goes, that goes back to a good discussion uh which i'm sure we've had but like why have a section zero i mean because you got to figure out like what your players are all into if they're all really into this and like you know lean on this and, and add some of those to your to your game but if none if nobody cares and you're the only one who cares then you're not gonna get much out of this but um you anyway, know yeah so i thought we'd just kind of run through some of the interesting stuff in the book i mean put some notes down and we can kind of run through them i do the first thing they put in the book is like a bunch of myths about guns, which I thought was pretty. Like they're definitely set in the stage. It's like this is re- realistic, not not like pulpy. Um, they put like you know the myth of like you're not you're not supposed to shoot a person with a fifty cal, and like hydrostatic shock will kill you if the bullet passes too close to you and stuff. So they they, they blow up a bunch of those myths right away, which I thought was a really uh, thought was, I thought was the right choice. The famous one where if you shoot a guy at point blank range with a shotgun, he'll be flying across the room. Yeah, yeah, violating violating Newton's third law. Um, yeah, that that kind of stuff. So, so that was again. I thought again that just kind of sets the tone for the book, which, which I thought was nice. Um, so, like we've talked about some of these in terms of like mechanics. Um, these are obviously GURPS specific, but some of them make sense. Like in GURPS, you want to invest in decks if you want to go first, and that's similar in Delta Green. If you want to go first or live, invest in decks, invest in firearms. You know, we've talked about that. Um, 
And but then like the next blurb was like, "Don't get shot," which we've definitely hammered home. Like you know, shoot first. If you have to shoot, shoot first. You know, never get into a straight fight. Always ambush the enemy. Use stealth. You know, ne- never fight fair. We've talked about that. We've hammered that home pretty pretty frequently. But I like that it's definitely true here. Also, I did note there. So I, this is a mechanic in Gunslinger. Um, in terms of like random hit locations, um, and so like say you're shooting at a guy, say you know, say you two people you're shooting at each other, and you're both like in cover, and you're just poking your arm out and your head out. So when, when I first started seeing this in, in gameplay, I was kind of annoyed with it because obviously I want my character to hit more. So if I, so if I roll if I shoot and I get a hit, uh, and the guy says he's got his got his like right arm and his head out, and I roll on the hit location table and I hit his right arm, well then he gets no no co- no cover bonus. He you know he gets he gets he gets hit. But if you have a referral left arm, well, that's behind cover, and I suffer the penalties of cover, which does add an extra die roll to all your shooting, which, is, which can, can be not great, or at least all your shooting when you're shooting into cover. But it also forces you to actually potentially take the aim shot action, and, or take the like take an aim shot rather, or a call shot rather than just shooting you know for center mass, so to speak. So I do, I have grown to like it as a narrative kind of. I don't think I've ever played a game that was made better by hit locations. They suck in Warhammer Fantasy. Um, they were okay in Warhammer Road Trader, I guess, but they were bad in One Roll Engine, and they were bad in... They were especially bad in fucking Red Markets. Because hit locations are something that, like, only exists to inconvenience the player character, because, like, you shoot a guy and it hits his left shoulder, and then you shoot him again and it hits his right knee, and, like, in real life, if that happened to you, that would be awful, but because you've done it to an enemy, you've essentially just attacked two separate pools of HP... So the first attack might as well not have happened because of the second one. Whereas if you get hit in the knee, it's like a major inconvenience because you have to deal with that in character for the rest of your life. It's like it's one of those things like stat damage where you don't care about dealing stat damage to the enemy, but you really care about stat damage being dealt to you. Like there's no yeah. there's no reason why you'd like want to sap someone's decks or whatever because sapping their decks doesn't stop them from fighting, but having your decks sapped is fucking horrible. And hit locations are the same way. Hit locations suck. Yeah, I guess I can see that if there's if there's separate HP pools for for each location. Sure. So, so how do you how do you mechanically or, or you know, in, in game or whatever justify like if somebody's partial cover, you just give them a just a straight modifier partial cover, and all the hits hit the cover, even if they're sticking their head out. Like how do you? No, I would I would just do it like Delta Green does, where Delta Green applies cover as a modifier to the target's armor, and the attacker can take a penalty hit in order to ignore the cover. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I I guess what I don't like about that is the fact that you if you're shooting out of cover. Unless you're shooting out of like a, a gun port where all you have is like your barrel sticking out and like a like a, a you know like a periscope, your part of you is not in cover. I mean, I know that if they abstracted like giving you partial why you have the ability in the to middle, make the cold but, shot to ignore cover. Delta yeah. Green basically, if you if you want to speak in hit location terms, Delta Green basically makes the assumption that all firearms attacks are aimed for center mass. And therefore, if you're behind cover, then the firearms attacks are trying to bore through the cover unless you explicitly state that you're aiming for a part of the body that's exposed, taking a numeric penalty in exchange for ignoring the armor. Yeah, that's fair. I mean, I just... and, and statistically, I wouldn't be surprised if the called shot penalty was the same at, like, statistically worked out to the same as the odds of aiming for an uncovered body part in a game with hit locations. Yeah, I'd have to look, I'd have to pull, pull up the rules and look. <clears throat> anyway, I, I, I thought I've, I guess I'm saying I've, in my past, in my experience of hit locations in, in that in a game, but generally you haven't played yet, so it's hard to describe. Yeah, but, like I didn't. But get I, I, I like it. Yeah, I've never yeah. seen draft rules of it. Yeah. So someday we'll talk more about it. Um, 
Another thing I liked is that, which which I think is something I don't do in Delta well, Green. It's funny because like I, I at first I thought Gunslinger was awesome, but like the more you guys talk about it, the more it just seems like something I really wouldn't enjoy because it's all about like oh you can get polio, oh you hit locations. And I was like, I thought this was supposed to be like the fixed Delta Green rules. Now, I don't think there's any Delta Green rules for getting polio. Um, there for sure are. Hang on. <laughs> anyway. <laughs> Actually, no, I'm not going to try and open my PDF reader because opening Adobe when there's more than like six tabs open in it will, will probably fucking crash my computer because humanity hasn't discovered how to like make a good PDF reader yet. Um, so the, the other thing that uh, – this is something that they mentioned in the, the tactical shooting book and, and something I don't do in, Del- in Delta Green but I probably should is like most enemy fire should be suppre- either suppression fire or blind fire because that's what a lot of fire in real life is. It's not like everybody is shooting perfect shots into the enemies every time. And I, I think I, I mean, I rarely have the enemy ever use, ever do either like a blind fire or a special fire. So I think that's something to, as hands to hands, to kind of keep in mind to make things feel more realistic. What would you do differently in that case from what you're doing now? Would you give enemies like a penalty or just like lower damage or something? I mean, there are, I mean, right now, the enemy, generally speaking, just shoots at the players. So I probably would have some of those shots be suppression. Maybe to allow the enemy to like try a flank or even dispersion, just try to keep heads down. You know, so I would just like if there's five enemies that have like maybe two of them shooting, you know, suppressive fire, or maybe one, maybe like if they're not all like tactically trained, if they're if they're just like random cultists, maybe have a couple of them firing totally blind. Um, that would that would probably just add a. There might already be a penalty for that, like shooting when you can't when you can't see your target. I don't know because you know who reads the rule books. Um, but if not, that would be like a minus forty or something, some kind of pretty heavy penalty. Yeah. Um, and then maybe one or two guys shooting, you know, accurately. It, it, it depends on if you're if you're going up against you know cultists or you know people who've been who have no firearms training or going up against like the enemy you know operators. And there's a little bit of difference there, but I would say I've, I don't think I've ever had an enemy shoot suppressive fire or, or you know that kind of stuff. So something to do. The thing to understand about Delta Green Combat is that Delta Green Combat is not a pure numbers game, but it's definitely a numbers game. If the if you were fighting a large group of enemies with low chances to hit inevitably one of them is going to hit you because if you roll enough dice at 20% or 40%, you're going to get a pretty sizable number of hits over the course of a combat. So the thing to do then is control line of sight and control the number of enemies that you engage at once, which is difficult in Delta Green because you're rarely looking at a battle map that allows you to create a keyhole position or use a corner to obscure your movement. A lot of the stuff that you would do normally to prevent yourself from being... Because like you wouldn't stand up on a roof if there were 10 guys with weapons and it was just you by yourself. You would try to, at, least, at bare minimum, find a window or something that you could stand back from so that only two of them could see you at a time when you engage them. True. Yep. <laughs> another thing... But I in Delta Green... Good. I was going to say, another mechanical thing I just thought of, I think one of the called shot options in the book is minus 40 penalty and you do half damage as like a wounding shot. If, <laughs> if you just want to go easy and kind of turn the fight towards chip damage, you could do it like that have the damage of all attacks on a hit, but if a guy has 40%, maybe there's only a 1% chance he's going to hit anyway. So one of the basic issues with Delta Green and Delta Green's um, linearly scaling HP damage and armor values is that in Delta Green, typically most attacks that will one-shot a an unarmored guy will bounce right off an armored guy. Classic example is a shotgun. Shotgun kills you in one shot if it hits you in the open with no armor. If you're wearing body armor... I think that the average shotgun damage roll deals no damage because it's 2d8 and 2d the average of 2d8 is what nine. Whereas the the um, the shotguns the the body armor applied versus the shotgun with the buckshot penalty provides 12 armor. So 
an issue in Delta Green is that a encounter, and this this is one of the reasons why during the the Handler's Guide draft, I advocated giving more of the monsters armor penetration so that it wasn't just like them trying to open a jar of marinara sauce and the agents laughing at them because their attacks couldn't damage the body <laughs> armored guys. Yep. Eclipse Phase had a similar problem where it was it was again just an issue of linearly scaling armor versus linearly scaling damage, and it's nice to wear body armor. That's the reason why we, why we put it on our characters, but it also means that you end up in these kind of silly situations where like you're in a gunfight, but some some people's average damage rolls cannot injure other participants, which leads to behavior like um, people. There, there, there are certain cases where the characters are just relatively confident that they can just tank damage. Like I remember this one of the one of the one of the uh, in our run of um, Last Equation. There's a bit where like the FBI agent who's going crazy as a result of bad numbers will like try to shoot a player character, and I was looking at that like, okay, she's got a gun that does DA damage. I've got four armor. She could get a crit and just blow my head off, but the odds of that are not very good. I'm probably gonna take one damage here. Because four point five round to five minus four. Yeah, it's like the scene in um in one of the one of the Punisher comics where um like there's some like corrupt cop that he's trying to uh, intimidate and the corrupt cop like shoots him but he shoots him with a thirty eight in the vest and you know how like the Punisher is all about like ignoring damage so he just walks past him. Yeah, I mean I'm, I'm not the person to talk comics about, but maybe Tom's seen it or knows it. I'm not too familiar with the Punisher comics. Sorry. Yeah, I believe you. That's all I can say. Um, well, so, 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 I guess, you know, wearing body armor uh, is the next bit of kind of tactical advice is, so, you know, use the, use the rules to your advantage. That's spawn. Don't get shot. We talked about that a lot and avoid dying. So wear body armor, wear helmets, you know, have people with first aid kits or, you know, individual first aid kits. You can have a bonus if you do get shot, you know, boost your chances on a, on a, some kind of a first aid role. You know, obviously, Delta Green helps to be close to a trauma center, <laughs> or have someone with those skills. Well, to be able actually, to, it really to doesn't you. help to be close to a trauma center. That's the thing about Delta Green is that the states that a player character can get into a Delta Green are um, awake and like running around and taking actions, unconscious and dead, and none of those states actually have like a, a timer on them for like here's how long before you take another damage or here's how long before you take a permanent injury. The only the only one that has that timer is the resuscitation rules, which are an optional rule. So in Delta Green, one of the one of the things that um, the rules don't actually mechanically support is like that situation where you have to race to the hospital to get the character medical attention. The only time you'd have to do that is poison or disease. And like some people are gonna say, well what about the alternate wounding rules on Dennis's Patreon? I didn't I didn't read those, they were bad. Hello? Anyone still there? <laughs> no, you're the guy. I mean I, the- I don't I don't have a response to that. So. <laughs> Those rules were deliberate memes. So I can't imagine anyone's yeah. really enthusiastic about actually playing with them. Yeah, I don't even remember them to be honest. Um, another interesting thing. So, so that's that's advice from the book about uh, like survivability and stuff. And now then it goes into some more like rules related things. And here's another interesting one, which I know Tom had a comment on. Like if you sometimes you may you might have two characters facing off against each other, and they're both maybe trying to draw like like draw on the other one, and you're not necessarily in like initiative order or anything yet. Um, so my suggestion was an opposed firearms roll to see who draws first. Um, I know, Tom, you had a comment or um, a suggestion at least. Yeah, I was curious. I was thinking that would probably be more like an opposed dex roll, or at least you could choose the higher of dex or firearms, just because it sounds like something where your actual physical reaction time would matter as much as any training. You don't know. I, I guess... 
And so if I, you know, player A, player B, or you know, A and B, they both they both have been they both have declared their intent to draw their gun and shoot the end up shoot the other person. Um, that I would again drop down to training because you can like training will make you faster at that um, because it's all about being smooth and accurate. But if you're if one character is like I want to dive for cover or I want to you know drop prone or r- bull rush the guy. Then I'd probably say it'd be like firearms versus dex, because that's more of a dexterity thing. But I probably wouldn't if the character was like, "Can I roll dex for this?" I probably wouldn't say no unless they had a really bad reason, like unless their firearms was like two. You know what I mean? But my my, my mind, I want to say like training matters more than just general speed. Yeah, that's fair. Because the other part of it I mentioned before we started recording was that switching over to dex gives a little more survivability to someone who has terrible firearms and is not going to want to pull a gun, is going to want to try and die for cover, or like Melon said earlier, just break line of sight and get away from the shooter. Yeah, I think in that case it'd be dex or dodge, maybe. Again, whichever. In that case, we know whatever's better. Well, I'm not yeah. sure anybody, I'm, I'm not sure, I'm not sure who, I've ever seen anyone with more dodge than dex. <laughs> Yeah, it could it could very easily be dodge. I think my rationale there was like if you win and you get to go first, the guy hasn't pulled his gun on you yet, so you can justify not having to make a dodge roll. You can just roll off decks since on average that's going to be yeah, higher. I can see that. And again, I th- I think if it was like when I would pull that out is is if it's some kind of like a tense like negotiation situation, you know, and it's like you know, there's like there's times in a fight where the fight's started, but nobody's pulled the gun yet. Um, you know, but if the players have set up an ambush or like they've set up a plan for this, and you know, I'd probably give the advantage to the players in most of those cases because if they plan ahead, I you know, want to reward them for that. But if it's kind of a drop of the hat, like oh shit, it's going south, or I pull my gun to shoot, like, well, so does the other guys. So we'll fire around and see who makes it first. You know, I think that if the combat has started and everyone's drawing their guns, then you shouldn't immediately go to the first round of shooting because someone might want to make an unarmed attack or something, which is what you should do if someone tries to draw a gun at you at close range. Don't, like, race them. Use the fact that they've that they've wasted their action drawing the gun to just take the gun away from them. Yeah, I, I, guess, yeah, I suppose, unless you're faster. Or unless you're just, like, more proficient than more But, proficient why, but than why, why take a gamble on an opposed roll when you could take a, like, you're 60% unarmed with an unopposed roll? Yeah, I, mean, I guess it would depend on the circumstances, sure. I do like that the book kind of already knows that you're going to try that uh, because it says if you have a gun on like a strap or a sling, just let them have it and draw your pistol while they're trying to turn the original gun back on you. Yeah, that's true. Um, There is a line, I think it's further down, but uh, yeah, further down, but it talks about uh, like very, very, very close combat. And one of the things they, they say is like, if you're, if you're so close to someone that your gun is touching them, you don't need to roll the hit. Like, you can't miss at that range. And I thought about maybe inserting that into some of the fighting back rules. It's like, if somebody jumps me and I have my pistol out and I just pull it in close and start shooting, like, I shouldn't have to roll to hit them. 100% I'm, I'm disagree. Them. Yeah. What's that? 100% disagree. I don't think that guns should be more effective than melee weapons in a hand-to-hand fight. I think that if that's the way that you want, you should eliminate the melee weapon skill from the game. I mean, I think they, they should eliminate it anyways and just combine it with an armed, but I couldn't disagree more with what you just said. Yeah, I mean, fair. Uh, but, it means, so, I mean, but if, if somebody jumps on top of me and I've got my gun out, I don't you know, care, Kevin, back in. Kevin, I don't care about realism. Like, we had this, you had the conversation at the beginning of the, at the beginning of the episode about if everyone is on the same page, these rules are great. 
and I'm not on the same page. I don't want to simulate exactly what would happen in a gunfight. I want to address mechanical problems and narrative problems that I'd have identified by playing Delta Green. I wrote my own like guide to player characters maximizing the, their odds of survival in combat because it was upsetting to me to see people die because they hadn't mastered the system. All right, I mean, fair. So, Kevin... I also want to point out the game already does give a pretty substantial bonus to shooting someone at point-blank range. Yeah, you get what, 20? You get a plus 20, which means that yeah. firearms, just in terms of roll to hit, are always going to have a better chance to hit at, well, not always, but typically will have a better chance to hit in a hand-to-hand fight than a melee weapon. The base melee weapon skill is 30%. The base firearm skill is 20, but if you add that 20% bonus, you are more likely to shoot someone at point-blank range with a base skill than they are to strike you with their weapon at point-blank range. Yeah, I mean, doesn't the fighting back skill mainly or fighting back action mainly assume? I don't think I don't think that takes into account fighting back with a gun. That's yeah, and that's wrong. a good thing because, yeah, I guess because, the, because otherwise there would basically be no way to ever hit someone with a hand to hand weapon. They would always just shoot you. Yeah, fair. I don't know. I just I feel like you should fight back with a gun, but you know that's just my my feeling. <laughs> Maybe it would require like special training or uh, you know some other kind of some other kind of thing. But I feel like that's a place where the rules you know break from sense in my mind. And that's a good thing. Um, they, so the book also talks about, uh, it goes through a bunch of different stances. I'm kind of torn on this one because, like, again, it's it's cool to describe, uh, you know, if you want. It's better than just being like, I stand there and shoot every time. Having some kind of a descriptive text, you know, with your actions is nice. But I also, I wouldn't want to, I mean, I like the idea of giving someone a bonus for, like, using it, like, bracing against the wall or, you know, bracing their gun on something. Or, but at the same time, like, I don't want my players searching for the right narrative words to get the bonus every time. So again, maybe it's something like if they have a special training or if, if they've gone through the, you know, they have a high, I don't want to give it to a high enough firearms and then you just make firearms better. But, you know, if they have a special training or if they have some, you know, background or something, then they just get a flat bonus. But I would want to give the enemies some kind of a offsetting bonus or penalty, you know, vice versa. Tom, was it Knight's Black Agent that gives the players a small numeric bonus if they describe how they're using the weapon? Uh, There is, it's... Not a bonus on the attack roll, but if you describe what kind of badass stuff you're doing, I think the term for it, at least for when you're shooting guns, is techno-thriller monologue. So if you kind of gush about your stance or, like, what kind of special model of gun you have, you essentially get refunded uh, some of the points you spent on that roll. Like, you can gain three points back into your shooting pool. That's pretty substantial, especially since um, on a D6 plus points system where the average target number is not going to be higher than like five, three points is is like <clears throat> you're not going to be spending more than much more than three points on a typical roll anyways. Yeah, and it's once per fight I think you're allowed to do that. So every time you uh, get into a scrap with somebody, you can just hit that and give yourself a little boost. Kevin, I'm coming to a realization that um, the reason why you liked Fantasy Flight Star Wars was not because of, like, the elegant narrative mechanics. It's because it had rules for shit like chopping off the trigger guard on your blaster to make it faster to draw, or, like, putting a sling on it so you could carry more weight, or, like, no, the different it's, types it's of red dot sight. Farmer. No, it's definitely the fucking, like, exhaustive tactical shooting gear list. Um. So, yeah, I mean, with, like, stances and stuff, again, I like to do, like, a once-per-fight thing. So yeah, and that's one where like I'm, I'm a little torn between like I want to give a bonus for people, people making like cool, uh, doing cool stuff in character, but I don't want to make it substantial. Uh, maybe like a plus ten, or I mean, maybe a plus five. Who knows? I'm throwing, throwing something. I, I do think it's interesting that they talk about like uh, you know the, either a transition, like you know if your if your primary goes empty, you grab your secondary or a New York reload. But like 
Nobody ever tracks ammo. Well, so so like no one ever does this. So Kevin, the, the reason why um, people don't do that is not just because of ammo tracking. It's because in the vast majority of RPGs, Delta Green included, it takes the same number of actions to reload your primary as it does to transition. So it takes yeah, one, it takes yeah, one round for me to draw my pistol, and it takes one round for me to reload my rifle, and the rifle deals more damage and has a bigger magazine. So in a game where I want to deal as much damage as possible, why would I go for the pistol? Yeah, I guess if I had, if I, but if I had a player who Again, assuming we're tracking ammo and like they were dry, and they wanted in the same round to shoot their pistol, I'd be like, "All right, well, if you if your gun's on a sling or you know you're equipped for it or whatever, you know, I'll let you draw your pistol and take a shot with it." Yeah, that's a, that's a case where you would you would time. bend the rules because you're rewarding somebody doing something that's mechanically suboptimal. Like how I always say that, like in in these games, you want to generally be pretty loose with the action economy when people do stuff besides shoot with the highest damage weapon available. Because there's a pretty huge opportunity cost to not shooting with the highest damage weapon available. And Del- Delta Green's action economy and the rule of one action per turn means that you're incentivized very strongly to just keep firing instead of doing anything else. And so that means that if you want to encourage people to do anything else, you should like give them an opportunity to do more stuff if they choose not to attack. And in this case, similarly, if they if their choice is either um, draw a handgun or reload the primary, and the primary just deals more damage and has uh, greater range, etc., then... If you wanted to incentivize them to use the pistol, then yeah, you would give them a, you would let them bend the action economy a little, little and draw without spending an action to draw. Yeah, I mean, and that's all, that's that's because Delta Green lacks some kind of like a because of the system, but it's just it, but uh, Dusk's Delta Green kind of lacks that like quick action, you know, that multiple type of action economy is just not designed that way, you know, with which is a, obviously a direct design choice, but it gives you yeah, it doesn't it lets having, you kind of take so, away so those ideas. Kevin, um, having played. Eclipse phase, which was a, a pretty strong influence on Delta Green mechanically with the way that the, the D100 system works. Eclipse phase is a game that has a very, like, finely, fine-grained, broken-down action economy. And having played both, I can say that Delta Greens is better. Just yeah. Because it's, like, I, I, I'm someone who doesn't really like um, games like Pathfinder mechanically. I think there's a lot to like about Pathfinder, but I think that um, I always end up in that situation where it's like, okay, I'm prone and I want to drink a potion, but there's also someone standing next to me and I want to drink the potion, and I need to to do that without provoking an AOO, but I can't remember which combination of pull out the potion, drink the potion, and five foot away I'm allowed to do in a single round. And also, I can't remember which those actions provoke, and also I can't remember if standing up provokes. And I can't remember how much my movement standing up uses. It's one of those cases where having really clear codified rules for each individual piece of the action economy means that if you have mastered the rules, you will always know what you are able to do. But if you haven't mastered them, then you need to constantly be be asking for clarification on, on which combination of actions is allowed from people who are more experienced than you. And I was very lucky at the, the table I played at was full of, like... I'm not. I'm, I'm going to say grognards, but I'm not using that in a derogatory sense. I'm using that in a sense of like people who were deeply knowledgeable at the game and been playing it for a long time and were very patient with me. But that's something that I'm glad that Delta Green avoids. Yeah, I think it's good. There's not a fine grained system for that. It but would, you're right that there's a cost. Down. That it means yeah. that if it essentially inflates the cost of doing things that shouldn't take that long. Like how in the in the the book it says like pushing a key on a keyboard or opening a door takes an action. And that, and that <laughs> yeah. means that, like, technically in Delta Green, going through a door takes three turns, because it takes one turn to move to the door, one turn to open it, and another turn to move through. And that means that if you run it, if you run the game, action economy rules as written, no one's ever going to do that. They're just going to stand and shoot. So you bend the rules a little to make it, like, yeah. to make it more viable to do stuff besides just attacking. Uh, so speaking of moving and shooting, you know, obviously in Delta Green, they're, like, they're very specifically uh, segmented off. Um, but... 
any thoughts on looks like obviously shooting from a non-moving position is better. Shooting while moving is like ten times harder than anyone ever thinks it is. Um, but you know, Delta Green, what do you get like like like, uh, like obviously it's not like if you take a move action, it's not like you start you start stopped, move your thirty feet or whatever, and then stop again. It's like during that turn you're moving. So if you move, move, move. If you like move three times in a row, it's not like you've stopped three times. Um, so if you move and then shoot. Like, is there any thoughts on like making that harder, or making it, you know more difficult, or making it? I mean, I don't think it's harder, but making it more interesting in terms of somebody actually standing still and shooting, or like lining up a shot, or you know, not letting someone aim while moving, stuff like that. No, I think that I think that you you shouldn't you should generally not attach additional punishments to movement because movement is already suboptimal for from a damage output perspective as it is. I think Delta Green has an issue where, like, in a real fight, you'd want to. I mean, I don't know if you'd want to do this, but if you if you were like a group of soldiers and you were trained, you would you would try to do something like have some people fire at the enemy while the rest of the group moves around to get a superior yeah, position. Yeah. But in an RPG where a chance chance to hit is just based on percentage die rolls, the optimal solution is just to have everyone fire every turn and don't move because like you roll enough D100, you'll eventually get in a hit. So I think that I, I picking up what you're putting down, which is like have a more fine distinction between standing still and like running somewhere and then shooting maybe even some penalties for shooting at someone who's moving the problem is when you start introducing those first of all it gets very difficult to track because i have to remember which characters moved which this turn or last turn when i'm parceling out numeric penalties yeah true is there a way kevin that you can think of to implement that what what you're looking for that wouldn't result in that additional layer of cognitive load and complexity yeah, I don't know. I mean, maybe the, instead of giving a penalty to moving and shooting, giving some kind of a bonus to not moving and shooting. But again, that just that does kind of make it even more optimal to just hunker down and, and yeah. fire all the and, time. And I'm I'm just hesitant to give out bonuses to firearms attackers because firearms are already very easy to stack modifiers yeah. with. Like you can get forty percent to sorry, yeah, you get you can get plus forty percent by taking a shotgun with a laser sight, and then you can get. That's that's the modifier cap. But Kevin, I'm wondering um, the one thing that you might do, and let me know if this is like because you're you're very concerned with with like realism and simulation and so on. Uh, so in Delta Green, there's already a rule that optical sights can't be used af- in a, in a turn that you've taken damage. You don't get the benefit from them. Would you also say that you couldn't get the bonus from the hollow sight or the red dot or the laser or whatever if you had moved? That might be that might be a way to do it. Yeah, that sounds pretty good. I mean, you're kind of sacrificing pure realism. Because again, some sites are made to be like yeah. The whole the whole point of but, having like the really yeah, the really yeah. like long eye relief wide, not particularly magnified gun sight is that you can use it while moving. And I definitely don't want to get into like, oh, your guy has an ACOG, so that's different than this guy who's got an E attack. Well, I think I think that than, would actually. You know, I will say this. Um, currently, the only reason not to use the ACOG is the cost because it's 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 magnified and gives you the, the bonus to chance to hit. So it it's just slightly more expensive. I think it would it would be a an interesting way to differentiate it mechanically to say it'll give you the bonus but only when you're not moving, whereas the other ones can be yeah. useful moving. Yeah, that, that, that's 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 cuz Kevin good ACOG, ACOG and EOTech are called out separately in the books. The EOTech is the hollow site, the ACOG is is ACOG a brand name? Uh I think so. It's advanced Combat, but see, that's, gunside, that's interesting because because the hollow site in Delta Green is just called holographic site. It's not brand named, but the ACOG is brand named. I'm pretty sure ACOG is brand named. Uh, but I could be wrong. Yeah. So yeah, so that that might be a reason to make those differentiate, and that would make it 
that would make taking the most optimal gun a choice you have to decide. Well, yeah, on, like, I'm, I'm, I'm all for like giving reasons to use things and not just having stuff be strictly better than other stuff. Because at Delta Green, we've yeah. talked about this before, how like an M14 is always just better than an M16 because it does more damage and like the penalties of you know recoil and shit are not modeled in the game system. So like, giving people more reasons to take a different a different piece of equipment is is good. Well, there's actually I was thinking of something else based on an excerpt from the book uh, in that vein. One of the things it mentions is that if you're in really heavy, bulky armor in GURPS, the book will give you like a small penalty to shooting with a long gun because you can't actually raise it up to your shoulder to look down the sights. And that sounds like something that would affect like a holographic sight, but not so much a laser because you can still yeah. fire from the hip pretty accurately. So that's that's funny because that's an, that's an artifact of this book being old because now you get you get armor now. It's called Shooter's Cut. And it's got a different cutter on the shoulder, so you can shoulder a weapon effectively. Oh, okay. But, but I mean, that's definitely, especially if somebody takes somebody who's not that well trained. Like again, if you're if you're CIA, you know, if, or if, you know, if you're, you're if you're like a doctor, loads up on armor just to go fight the cultists, and he's not like you know has no reason to be very proficient in it. That might be a good thing to throw in there. Whereas if you have like an operator type, he's gonna have if your character's like an assaulter type, he's gonna have like a shooter's cut. He's gonna be all like you know geared out and stuff. But like your doctor isn't, so that. There's still some some validity to yeah. that. Yeah, I, I I feel where you're Run coming it. from, but good. I, I was gonna make me run it as a period game, set it in the '90s again. Yeah, yeah, and I definitely would impose those penalties on again if you have a bunch of cultists who just like grabbed AKs, you know, and and have a bunch of like ill-fitting body armor. For sure, they wouldn't get any. They're not gonna be aiming and like shouldering, and you know, it's gonna be more more crazy. Yeah, for sure. I'm against. I, we, we've we've talked about this before with like helicopters and stuff. I'm just generally against like providing additional penalties to characters who are not frontline killers. I think that, like, being a computer scientist in Delta Green is already its own punishment without adi- adding additional negative modifiers. Yeah, very true. But um, the, the the thing that I thought of when I read that section, because, like, now I'll, I'll do, like, the, the realism grognard thing. So um, this book has a bunch of stuff, like, okay, you can't use, um, you can't use a... a uh, you get a, you get a penalty because you can't shoulder the gun properly, or if you're using night vision sights, you can't use the iron sights because of like depth perception. You can't get a cheek weld or whatever. But um, one thing that I remember is that this is this has been like not necessarily a solved problem since like the 80s, but one of the original reasons why the SAS introduced three point slings for the MP5 is so that they could you they could essentially rather than shouldering the gun while wearing a gas mask, they could just push forward against the sling tension to yep. aim down the sights. And that's something that was designed to solve a, a pretty similar problem to the one we're talking about here, with um, inability to use the gun sight and shoulder the weapon due to a piece of equipment. And some of this just falls into like just throw that in as a description of like what the enemy's doing or whatever. It'll just it'll just make the gunfight feel more cool. It doesn't need to be it doesn't need to be a mechanical advantage. Just describe that you know you, your guys throw the gas grenades in and the the cultists come out and they're holding their guns, you know, they're pushing their guns out in front of them against their slings, and then your guys are going to be like, oh, shit. Yeah. And I'll, I'll say this. Like, I, I should I talk you for your Star Wars gear obsession, but I really do like that. Not, I don't have that. <laughs> well, Kevin, I should talk you for it, but honestly, I think it's cool that they did that, like, almost uh, Apocalypse Now or, like, um, like, like stuff like, be- I, I, I made fun of, like, being able to fit your blaster, but I actually think it's cool that you can, like, do this explicitly, like, noir or, like, Rainbow Six-style weapon customization in a setting that's traditionally been focused around, like, super-duper laser swordsmen. Because I fucking love anything in Star Wars that focuses on, like, not Jedi. <laughs> 
Yeah, Jedi are the least interesting part of Star Wars. I don't think Wars. that they're the least interesting. I think there's other there's other things that are less interesting. But <laughs> banking clans, dude. No, the banking clan slaps. <laughs> or no, you know, like tr- trade dispute negotiations. Trade disputes are, are less are less good, but I there's stuff I do like about the um, that they retroactively introduced into the into the setting with like the whole um, yeah we just made like literally a trillion battle droids and most of them are still around even though the war's yeah. over or um, yeah the other thing I liked was how. Um, on both sides, you had, like, okay, robots and clones, but then you had all these different militias that different planets would raise to fight and stuff, like how on Jabim, most of the fighting was between um, loyalists and rebels, rather than between droids and clones, and so it was actually a really horrifying, traumatic experience for all the Jedi who fought there, because they weren't killing robots, they were just killing people. <laughs> and then at, yeah, and at the end, they lost, they different. had to abandon all the um, all the loyalists. I mean, but droids feel pain, so I feel like I don't know a droid is... Anyway. Um... <laughs> All right, so uh, another thing that the book talks about is, which I thought was an interesting way to maybe use somebody who is a computer scientist and isn't great at firearms, is having like a good shooter and paired up with a spotter. And it, it could be like a sniper spotter team, or it could also be, they, they talk more about like walking, um, if you're like a machine gun, like walking your machine gun fire accurately onto the enemy or walking um, to a little lesser extent, like you know, artillery or heavier weapons. But I think that might be an interesting way to have somebody who's not good at firearms help someone who is. And still feel like they're like contributing. You know what I mean? The the only the only problem I see is like my knee jerk reaction is have the spotter roll firearms to like tell the other guy what to do, which if they're not good at firearms doesn't help. So I would need to find they got to roll something that isn't firearms to kind of aid the shooter and like feel useful. Yeah, I'm trying to think of what you could roll in that case. Would that just be <laughs> alertness or something? Yeah, I don't I don't know. <laughs> I've, I really shot. I really walked myself. I spotted my spotter walked me to a corner on that one. Uh, so I'm not sure. I mean, I like the idea. I feel like it would give a, a non-shooter a way to feel like they're engaging by being you know, laying down with the binoculars and be like, all right, you know, I got a you know guy with a red hat is over there, you know, down to the left, whatever. Hell, maybe just be like, look, if you give up, if your action is spotting, then you give the guy a bonus because you're not doing anything. I mean, maybe, maybe they don't even need to be, it doesn't need to be a role for that, you know. We talk a lot about making stopping. We talk a lot about having people not roll. We don't need to roll, so that's not a roll they need to make. Yeah, I think that um, if you're having a character explicitly sacrifice their ability to output damage, like say I am not going to carry a weapon, I'm going to use binoculars or or a a, a rangefinder or whatever to help another character, don't make them roll. Do ne- ne- never make someone roll to give someone else a bonus on a roll because that's rolling dice to see if you modify another die roll. That's something that's already in Delta Green in places, like the law roll to modify the luck roll to get out of jail free. <laughs> oh, Kevin, yeah, I mean, Kevin, my- Kevin, Kevin, and Tom, I just yeah. discovered something great from the uh, the Fatal and Friends review of Sowers. The Sowers can never be prosecuted for their actions because they always pass luck rolls. Yeah. <laughs> their magic spell means that they will always get away with their crimes. Only Delta Green can stop them. <laughs> that's good. No, that makes sense. That. That's. I think that's literally there. Like no one even thinks to accuse them of crime. And you know what's the best part about that is that if you Delta Green player character learn to cast that spell, you can also get away with all your crimes. And like it's not even that expensive. It's only a D four plus one willpower, which is exactly the same amount of willpower that you regain. Exactly, statistically average the same amount of willpower that you regain by sleeping. So as long as you act on your motivations while you're committing the crimes, you're even Steven. Yeah, you just have to give your soul over to Nyarlathotep, and you're there. It's not Nyarlathotep, it's Azazel. He's the angel of, um, I forget what his portfolio is. He's the the scapegoat. He's the guy who... He has a really high damage ray, but in in exchange for lower HP. And 
also a bunch of garbage items being added to the already bloated item pool. Is this a Dungeons and Dragons joke I don't understand? Okay, I don't get it. Listeners will appreciate and not be happy with it. (laughs) Well, at least someone appreciates it then. If you're you're a listener (laughs) and you're not happy with it, let us tweet at us and let us know. Bredmond, if you're listening, stop making Isaac DLC. No one wants anymore. Oh, okay, now I get it. Make fucking Mugenics, everyone was hyped about that. I mean, I was, and that's what's important. <laughs> um, so that's kind of all there is, in, or at least that's most of what is in this book for, like, mechanical stuff. There is a bunch of, I encourage folks, if they want to check it out, they go through a lot of tactics, which are all, like, not really mechanically advantageous, but are just, like, good, solid shooting tactics. And if you if you want to kind of make your firefights, make your combat Delta Green less, like, I stand and shoot the other guy, you know, make sure you understand all these things and your players understand these things, like how to enter a room and yeah. shit. So I've, I've, I've shit on this it's book It's really a lot. cool stuff. I've shown this book a lot during this review. I'll say that this is an extremely fun splat book to read. Like the fact, yeah. and the reasons why it's fun is that it's information combined with narrative and descriptive text combined with all of these fun quotes and anecdotes from like the different um, people who have like written all these books that the guys riffing on. And it's everything from like you know special forces shoot mans to like guys from the 1930s who would go out and get in gunfights. Yeah, for sure. So yeah, this is just a place where you can add kind of verisimilitude if you want to do that. So that's like that's to me that's worth if you don't know this stuff already, that's worth the price of what's PDF like eight nine bucks or something. Um, there is they they talk a little bit later about cover, and I thought it was neat to talk about like cover in like a build up cover in like urban areas different than cover in an outdoor area. It's neat, but like I don't know that I want to slice up the cover system in Delta Green a ton more, unless you like, redo the whole thing, in which case, well, like, Kevin, you're building Kevin, another Kevin, you, you earlier expressed that you were already kind of unhappy with Delta Green's cover system. Yeah, but it was, I mean, my fix for that was was the locational stuff, so it's a, it's not like, I'm not, I don't, I'm not trying to fix cover, so to speak, I'm just, like, like, so one of the things they describe in there is, like, if you're in a, if you're in a, if you have to take cover in a building, like, putting a, like, a, putting a desk against the door isn't that useful, but if you put a desk and then, like, two feet of books against the door, it's going to stop a lot of stuff. Um, and they also talk about, like, you know, if somebody's hiding in a room with drywall, which, you know, like, in, in, like just like a Rainbow Six Siege, like, don't go through the door, shoot a hole in the drywall, and then shoot it and kill them. And, like, that's not an option indoors. And, like, the Delta Green system doesn't necessarily... Yes, it, it does allow that, because um, your, your uh, typical, like, intermediate cartridges in Delta Green is D12 damage with three armor penetration. And I think drywall in Delta Green is only five armor. So you're only sacrificing two points of damage to shoot to the wall. Yeah, that's true. And I guess once you made a hole, there's no, the armor is zero. Yeah. So. Well, that's a, that's the question is, um, cause th- there's a lot of, um, like pontificating in like defensive shooting circles about like, you know, how much cover does a cinder block wall provide if you get like repeat strikes at the same location that kind of eat away at it. Yeah. Which this book t- talks about how long it would take to shoot through a cinder block yeah, wall. Yeah, there you go. Um, so I don't know. I mean, so it's interesting stuff. Again, I, I, you know, this gets into the, the GURPS gets into detail about like, you know, the difference between, you know, dry sand and, and you, know, you know, a sand that you tamp down, sand that's loose, providing different, different, you know, damage reduction. Cause that's GURPS's like styles. So I don't, you know, it's neat stuff and it might be cool again if you're doing a shootout inside to describe like, all right, you know, we got five minutes for the bad guys are here. Let's, you know, take this bookshelf and, you know, I'm going to turn all the books, you know, I put all the books up against the wall and try to make cover on it. That's kind of neat. And again, it adds like to the story, but I wouldn't want to, I don't think I'd want to tie a million different mechanics to it unless somebody had a really easy drop in, like yeah. use this. So what, one thing that, that seems to be consistent across media and in real life, and I don't remember if it's addressed in this book. I didn't look for it specifically because I just finished um, watching, uh, doing a rewatch of Sopranos and 
it's all right. It's pretty good. It's not as good as The Wire, but um, when we, when it comes to HBO shows written by people named David, it's definitely second place. Pretty good. I liked it. Uh, got a little sick of the characters by the end. But the thing that I noticed from that, and I think is probably just a generalizable rule, is that in a gunfight, being in a car is the absolute worst fucking place you can be. <laughs> because... Every time someone is shot at while they're in a car, they are killed because their movement is restricted and because they have difficulty reaching their weapon. For sure. It's definitely not like and most like, movies. This yeah. is something that like police officers are paranoid about, and it means they don't use their seatbelts and then they die in car accidents. But in this specific case, I actually almost wonder if that's why Delta Green has rules for not wearing a seatbelt. Because ordinarily, if you're if you're if you're a player character and you know that the damage tables say you take more damage in a car crash without a seatbelt, and the GM asks, were you wearing a seatbelt? You're going to say, yes, I was wearing a seatbelt. But, like, in real life, a lot of people in these situations don't wear seatbelts because they think that the freedom of movement is worth more than protection from a car accident. Even though in even though the car accident in both Delta Green and real life does much more damage. <laughs> and it's way more, and potentially more likely. Yeah, in yeah. Delta Green it does 10% lethality, whereas in, in the gun only does D10. <laughs> Yeah, but, I don't know. But, like, also vehicles don't provide, um, in real life and in Delta Green, don't provide, like, that much cover, apparently, if you're inside them. And I think we... Yeah, certainly if they're not, like, up-armored. Yeah, we did, we did a, we did a, I think, a very early segment about, like, something or other with, with, with regards to Delta Green combat and, like, how you have to hide behind the engine instead of behind the, um, the side of the vehicle. True. And I think yeah. it was a similar bit to this one. But then you got to decide, is it a four-cylinder or a six-cylinder, and your dice, you know, roll differently depending on, you know, how much traction it gives you. But also... Just think of, thinking about it in terms of the Delta Green like action economy. Just the fact that if you start the fight in the car, you have to like it takes an action if you ever want to get out of it. You're probably better off just spending your action instead of getting out, running over the enemy and just murdering them. Right. Well, that's the that's the idea is that um, the vehicle is the highest. It's like probably the highest lethality weapon you own in Delta Green, and your chance to hit with it if you've got a good drive skill might actually be higher than with your primary weapon. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. So if the enemy's shooting at you from you know, in the open, your best bet is probably just hit the gas. Um, I thought there was a neat system on page 33. It's like kind of a color-coded system of like threat recognition. Again, I'm not sure I'd want to like mechanically rep- do anything to the other I just thought it was neat that like if you're unaware, like you're tired or you're distracted, like you're like white. And if you're kind of like alert, just generally alert, like you're not – there's no specific threats, but you're just prepared for trouble. Like the, like the default person of like a – that's like the default condition of like your average cop or like tactical shooter. You're like yellow. And if you see a specific threat, like – you know, somebody you think is a bad guy, then you're in like orange. Um, and obviously in GURPS, they give you a bunch of different, uh, like different perks can be activated here and stuff. That doesn't really apply to Delta Green. I just thought it was kind of a neat, like kind of a scale to describe like how, how alert or how not alert your agents like may or may not be. So one thing that I did notice about this book, and this is part of, this is part of how GURPS works, is that they would have a lot of call outs and asides for different things that could apply to a fight like oh if your guy's been eating garlic is easier to detect or um <laughs> yeah. if your guy uh threat cocks a weapon you get a small bonus to intimidate but you um you lose whatever the round that you had chambered uh and the the thing about it is that it was all like pretty interesting stuff but then in the, the end result is just like yet another modifier to remember and i'm wondering if for all this shit maybe it's better to think up like a more unique and interesting mechanic for it because 
like no one's no one's going to remember all the numeric modifiers in GURPS or in Delta Green. So is there a, is there a way to like you know maybe simulate it some other way? Like one one thing that I've always done is um, rather than like applying perception modifiers and alertness modifiers and like dex modifiers or, or or stealth or whatever, if someone's wearing like a bulky hazmat suit or whatever, I just say your dex is halved. End of story. Don't don't worry about like applying penalties to each role. It's just if you ever get in a fight, you are going after everyone else. Yeah, yeah. I had the same thought about the bulky body armor from earlier. I was just thinking like I don't know if I do a specific penalty at any time. You have to like maneuver really finely or move really quickly. That's gonna work against you. And like I feel like if you ask your players like how alert are you, they're always like hyper alert. Like, you can't be hyper-alert forever or you'll go crazy. So there's, like, a psychological benefit. And, like, like because that, that, will, that will drain you. That will stress you. And, you know, what Delta Green does have is a pretty robust mechanic or a pretty robust system for showing how to, like, stress or, like, burn out your character. So I feel like you can be, you know, every scene you can stay hyper-alert, but it's going to cost you willpower. Just, you know, after the first, like, three. Also, you got you to gotta take a break sometime. You know, like, so maybe that's a way to make this a little more... That's using a system that already exists, you know, like force them to spend willpower or, you know, something. Yeah. Yeah. Like, just another penalty I've never imposed, but, like, shooting is really loud and characters never wear ear pro unless they're, like, tactical, like, army guys. Um, so I've never imposed the penalty for, like, after a firefight. Like, you're just, you're going to be deaf, for, like, partially deaf for a little while. And that's something to just, just kind of keep in mind. If, if the next thing players do after a big gunfight is, like, searching for something or, like, listening or something, like, you can't. <laughs> it's going to take time. One thing you might do just on the spot is that if someone fires a gun in really close quarters, even if it doesn't do damage, even if it doesn't hit, maybe everybody just has to roll to see if they're stunned for one round. Yeah, especially if they weren't expecting it. Yeah, or another case, maybe you like drop them down the dex order or some kind of some kind of a thing like that. Um, I I, I would I would really hesitate to have things that modify the initiative order while you're in combat because recalculating initiative during combat is something that slows the game to a crawl. Yeah, it might, might be tough. Like, if someone, it might be better in person if you had like one of those initiative like towers, you just move them yeah, real quick. Yeah, so and you, know, you know what it's like? It's like how um, in some games, it's like, okay, when you cast the shrink spell on someone, you modify their HP for this amount per hit dice and also reduce their strength. It's like, okay, so I'm, I'm recalculating strength, which means I'm recalculating strength modifier, which means I'm recalculating half a dozen other numbers on the character sheet. Just, no, no, don't do that. Bad game design. Yeah. So 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 yeah, I, I feel where you're coming from with like you wanna reflect that people have been um knocked around. But honestly, one of the one of the um and, and I will say this, like modifying initiative order is something that reflects a penalty without just stunning someone and taking away their ability to play the game, which, you know, I'd prefer to, to go last rather than be stunned. But at the same time, like I the thing is is that managing initiative order is already something that like, not only most GMs, but most players will struggle with. Like, there's always going to be that moment where the GM's like, all right, did everyone go? Okay, the monsters, and then one of the players shouts, wait, you skipped me! And then you go back to the square one. Yeah, and I, and I guess I'm, I'm, I would, I guess I'm looking more for this, like, after the firefight. It's like, are you, you oh, like, like it's, a, it's a penalty that's a plug. So, so, I'm, what I'm looking for for this is, is there a way to, to simulate all the bad stuff without just, like, that's a neg 20 that no one's going to remember? And, like, the dex penalty is, is similar because um, I feel like it's also probably going to get forgotten. And I'm also trying to tie it into the sand rules a little bit because, like, there, there, there already are a bunch of combat-related sand, potential sand losses. It's so, like, I want to make sure those are all captured because, like, shooting is, even if you win, getting into, a, like, a firefight is stressful. <laughs> you know, it's like, I want to... <laughs> so it probably wants to be, like, 
you know, after the firefight, you know, everybody makes their stand checks if they just murder someone or whatever. You know, and then maybe like characters that, you know, failed are gonna be at a disadvantage to like the next scene of like investigative stuff. If they're if their next plan is like once they're shot some people is to like, you know, calmly investigate and like poke around. Like if you're like trying to like get your hearing back and like you just shot a guy and you never killed someone before, like you're just not gonna be that attentive to like leafing through the you know land records of this t- tax office or whatever you know so again and that's that, and that, but i think i think in that case you just throw a negative 20 on him and like nah, that's really all there is you know but i also don't want to like if the clue is there i don't want to you still want them to find the clue so i don't know it, and again maybe it's just narrative it's just a narrative thing you just talk you know and see if into the play you know mention how definitely it was even the players lean into it and maybe they do and have a good time maybe they don't you know not everything needs to be a you know in game mechanic the uh, the last thing in this book that I found pretty interesting was if you go all, kind of all the way to the back. They list like basic loads for, and then like pretty aggressive loads for all sorts of stuff, and, they, and not just like cops, but like the North Hollywood shooters, like everything they carried. You know the the guys who did the Islamic the Islamic terror attacks in Mumbai, like what they carried. And like I kind of would basically treat these as like a tools of the trade page. Obviously, not that you're gonna like role play a bunch of terrorists, despite the fact that that's in a scenario already. But like if 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 you have somebody who where their stuff isn't cleanly in the tools of the trade page, you might find it here. You might find at least like a, a general idea here to, of what to give them. You know, I mean, they list like Bonnie and Clyde. Wait, really? I didn't I get was, that far. Yeah, look at page eighty. So they got like a Ford V8, and they got a Colton, you know, 1917 revolver and seven 1911 pistols. You know, like that's what they had on them. So yeah, I mean, new stuff. Uh, you know, if you just want to see what a typical, like a typical or atypical loader is, depending on who you're looking at. Um, and the book, and the book also gives you a bunch of good media examples, like other books you could read into if you want to really get into the stuff. Uh, and then like popular fiction and popular nonfiction. You know, it's it's pretty pretty good advice there in terms of if you want to. You know, delve more into it. Yeah, I like GURPS tactical shooting. Kevin, um, here's a question. So, when I initially saw this on the um, back, way, way, way back on the Gossworks forums, uh, all the posters were like reading it and saying, like all, like all the ones who who had been like um, deployed and like been mercenaries and stuff were saying, like this is pretty well researched, but it's obvious that the author is um, like a civilian rather than someone that goes out and gets in gunfights for a living. What was your read on it? I mean, that's true, but it is it's still it's still exceptionally well researched. Like it, that's not like, that's not a commentary on whether it's bad or not. Yeah, I just yeah. wanted to because I know that you kept saying like, "Oh, Tarkov is the best is the best gunfights I've ever had, except for the actual gunfights." Yeah, yeah, except for the gameplay. So, um, so, but, so, what's sure. your read on 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 this one? Yeah, I mean, this this is definitely uh, it's definitely like the, one of the best entry level. Like, if if so, if you, if you were play, if you were someone who had like no knowledge from from reality about how to do stuff like this, this will get you a pretty solid yeah, so, you'll be able to kind of hold your footing with like people who've been in, yeah, in the real or, shit. Or or maybe maybe we can we can make the use case even more specific. There are people who like play Delta Green and are really into this shit and there's people who are kind of just not that interested in it. And if you are someone who does not know that much about it, but you wanna like just get the level of background knowledge, even so that you can just like have a slightly higher floor for like what your character would do in a given situation. This is a fun book because it does that in a way that's actually interesting to read. Like realistically, most people are never going to play GURPS. Like even GURPS fans do not, I think, probably play <laughs> yeah. it that often. In a, in the same way that like Eclipse Phase fans don't play that much Eclipse Phase, and probably a lot of Delta Green fans don't play that much with Delta Green because. Any any like indie RPG, especially, you're going to be reading it, about it more than you are going to be playing it. So most yeah. GURPS books are just read for fun, for sure. And like, so like, I would I would definitely print out 
like for example like the if if I was going to be running a game for people who were like not who never you know who had no real world knowledge of this and it was going to be a game that where, where they play like say it was like Kaligati or a game where they were playing military guys like you can print out a couple of the tactics pages and you know, like if they read two or three of these pages then they would be able to talk about like okay we're going to like leapfrog and fire you know shoot and skew or whatever and they would it would just it would just it would increase their like believability of the game and make them feel like they're kind of stepping into the shoes I'm like if if you're going to play like I don't know anyone who's going to play role playing game but won't read like a one-page handout to make their character cooler you know i don't know so definitely I, got that kind of stuff I, I agree with everything you just said except for the except for caligati because i actually don't think caligati is a scenario where tactics matter that much because there's a there's one big combat encounter but it's i think basically scripted yeah or or like night visions or you know night any, vision, any, any night, game night where you're is playing a fun one because yeah. um night visions is also like largely scripted or dependent on like rng but I remember hearing the story of one group that discovered that if they hid in the cave, they had enough DPS that every time the monster came through the cave entrance, they could just they could just liquefy it, and so they they could basically just stay in the cave until they ran out of ammo. Because like in that situation, going outside was obviously suicide because there was a huge group of guys with RPGs and monsters and shit, and they had enough DPS to just choke point anything that came in, and uh, like so they had no reason to go out and do like the chase scene. But the problem was that, yeah. like, the mother of monsters can just infinitely spawn Teothons. But that was a group that, like, yeah, re- re- really ended up, like, not enjoying the scenario because it was a situation where the only viable move seemed to be sit in the cave and roll firearms instead of, like, the really cool chase sequence because it's easy to get locked into that state in, a, um, in like, a, a tactical shooting scenario where you can get stalemated. Mm-hmm. Especially if the... Pl- it, it goes back to, like... To like, we talked about this in the early episodes where there'll be situations where, like, if you have a, a group of all anthropologists or whatever, and then the handler expects, like, a big raid on the compound at the end, and the players are not interested in doing that because they don't want to just immediately get mulched, you have to find a way to unstick the situation. Yeah, I agree. And, like, Night Vision, like, the chase was one of the coolest. Like, that's one of the things I remember most about my playthrough. So, you know, those guys, it, that may have been tactically sound, but it was. Not it was not worth it, <laughs> yeah. But but that's when you have to embrace the the Tom school of Delta Green, where it's like this was an optimal. What would make this more fun? As I'm listening to the story about all these guys just hiding in the caves, getting bored as they blow away anything that comes up, and I think my response as a GM would be, okay, you can all stay in the cave. Roll sand helplessness for every day. You just hide down there without <laughs> yeah. food or water. And every additional day, the penalty for failure goes up. So let's see how long it is before one of you takes a temp and just goes I mean, screaming I, out there I, trying I, to make a break for it. I think they would just adapt, though, if they were taking it down a daily basis. Because <laughs> it's, it's chip damage. It's it's like 1 yeah. and then a D4 and then a D6. Like, this, the odds of getting a temp are, are, are pretty low. And that's how you start getting, like, D8 to D10s. Sure, but how many of them in the party? Like, you want not one person is going to wait, take wait, a wait, 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 wait. No, adapting? the the odds are higher because it's an introductory scenario, so the players don't know how to project. <laughs> yeah, sure. There you go. <laughs> True. Besides, when one of them when one of them breaks and that guy gets eaten, then everybody's taking unnatural. Kevin, I think the scenario that would benefit most from this advice is actually iconoclasts, because iconoclasts is one yeah. where the combat encounters aren't fully scripted. I agree. Yep. And I kind of class is one where we're having a bunch of handouts pour over is fun. So yeah, I mean, though, though I will say that um, a lot of the iconic class reviews that we've seen were much more negative than ours. So yeah. it might it might be that it's not actually as much fun as as we imagine it being, or but not imagine as much fun as we felt it was. Yeah, it only matters if I had fun. I mean, that's been my philosophy. <laughs> uh, 
for like that was literally the reason why I created Night of the Opera was that <laughs> was that I wanted to run more games. I learned it from you. Yeah. <laughs> now, all right. Yeah, I mean that's a pretty good stinger. But if we have any other parting shots on Gears yeah, Tactical, this is a cool book. Forward. Um, it's like. Again, like I think a lot of the stuff in here is not stuff that I would try to implement mechanically, but is very solid, like descriptive text for describing what's already happening in your game. Yeah, it's and like some stuff like you know shooting being deafening. Like I wouldn't try to invent a rule system for that. I would just keep it in my back in my head as like a little yeah. float up there. And then if if a player does something where they just need to hear, like all right, I'm gonna go stand lookout after this big firefight and listen for the cops. All right, buddy, that's going to be really hard because yeah. you're so, deaf. So you so just keep it up there and, and throw it out when Kevin, you need can it. Kevin, can I offer a suggestion for how to do that? Um, rather than trying to simulate it mechanically, because I think you, I think we're on the same page that that might not be the way, you might just have the next narrative story beat happen without the players having any ability to prep for it. Like, like realistically, yeah. there's going to be some like some you know police response time or whatever. But if your if your contention is that the players are night blinded and deafened, then you could just skip right up to the police rolling up, and then if they ask why didn't we notice that, you'd say you know because. All you yeah, can hear is the sound of the, the the shotgun being discharged. Yeah, yeah, for sure. So again, uh, so I'm so I agree with you. It's a great little source book. I mean, it's it's a better source book for other games than it is for groups. But I feel like that's most GURPS. I don't source know books. because one thing that they do is they actually uh, one one of the primary criticisms that people have of GURPS because everyone with GURPS is like, oh, you should only use the books you need. Just don't use all the rules. It's like knowing what books are necessary and what portions of what books are necessary is knowledge that only comes from mastery. That's not helpful. It's yeah. like saying when it's like if someone is is diffusing a bomb and you say only cut the wires you need. It doesn't mean anything. But <laughs> this book has pretty extensive guidelines for which of these rules do you actually want to use and what changes yeah. should you make to your game in order to make these rules work better. And that's great. I think that that is something that every game could use more of. Yeah, and it's also very good about which one thing Gerb Source works really well. Usually it's very good about every time they talk about something, they're like, oh, this is from, you know, high tech page 81. This is from Seals in Vietnam, page 50. Like it gives, so you may have to hunt through other books, but if that's what you want to set up, then like it tells you exactly how to yeah, do I it. Yeah, I got annoyed by it at first, but I think you're right that um, at least the, having page at least it tells you where to great. go. Yeah. Yeah. You know, and they make it a lot of it optional. So they're like, you know, if you want to do this, see martial arts. And if you don't want to deal with the martial arts or this book, obviously. Okay. So, so, so I, I, I liked it here, but, um, I was reading, um, GURPS New Sun, which I don't, I don't think is a very good source book for reasons I won't go into right now. But, um, one of the funny things about it is that, like, it's set in, like, the, the techno future. And it's like, um, this character is from the Xanthic Isles, which many people think, based on the name, may actually be China. See GURPS China. <laughs> like like it's like a, it's like a, a hypertext link on wikipedia but instead it's like no this is um you know severian picked up a rock see gurps rocks see gurps you know ancient ancient you know imp- ancient improvised weaponry yeah <laughs> gurps 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 low tech Gr- grog tech yeah uh tom any parting thoughts on gurps tactical shooting um, i think it's given me a couple of interesting ideas to kind of draw on in the fiction. I don't know how much I would, like, try to dedicate uh, in terms of mechanics to recreating, but it has given me yeah, some ideas for, like, describing gunfights now, and I'm not really one to enjoy combat, so... Cool, so yeah, check it out. Let us know what you think. 